Welcome to the Unmade Podcast, looking at media and marketing from an Australian perspective. I'm Tim Burrows. Recently, I published my first book, Media Unmade. It quickly became an Amazon bestseller. It's the story of Australian media's most disruptive decade. It's published by Hardy Grant, and you can buy it at all good bookshops and online. In the coming weeks, I'll be sharing the full audio edition of the book here on the Unmade podcast. Coming up is the next chapter. Now remember, only Unmade's paying subscribers get to hear every chapter. If you haven't already, you can sign up at unmade.media. As well as supporting my work as an independent journalist, you'll receive exclusive industry analysis in both written and podcast form. And once you sign up, you'll still be able to get our paid podcasts inside the app of your choice. It only takes a couple of clicks. Now, on with the book. Chapter 25, Friday the 13th, in which COVID-19 is the media's grim reaper, forcing cinemas to close, forcing Bauer to shut eight magazines in a single day, forcing sport off the air, forcing 19 radio shows off the air, forcing News Corp to shut a hundred newspapers. But there was one winner. The year 2020 was shaping up to be a typical media year. Executives would talk brightly in public about how they were finally anticipating some advertising growth while privately moaning that spending was flat, the market was soft and forward bookings were short. Traditional media had been in a semi-permanent recession since the GFC, with most new advertising spend being sucked up by the digital behemoths. Those with an international perspective liked to quote Sir Martin Sorrell, founder of the world's largest advertising and PR group, WPP, who referred to the quadrennial effect of the Olympics and the US presidential race on boosting global advertising every four years. The year 2020 was an Olympic and election year, and the media needed a turnaround. Standard Media Index, which measures the spend of media agencies on behalf of their big brand clients, had already recorded 15 consecutive months of decline, the worst run on record. SMI's numbers showed that advertising was down by 8.2% in January compared with the year before, as bushfires raged across Australia's east coast. When Australia closed its borders to visitors from China on the 1st of February, media outlets treated the spread of the new coronavirus as a news story rather than as an existential threat. The illness wasn't even given the name COVID-19 until the 11th of February. The advertising market was down for the month by 5.3%, and that would be the last relatively normal month the media industry would see for a long time. It hit fast. Friday the 13th of March was the day Melbourne's Grand Prix was cancelled, and the realisation began to dawn that Australian life and business was about to change. 
Advertising is a lead indicator of a country's economy. A marketing budget is relatively easy to pause. So media companies are usually first to go into downturns when everybody stops advertising at once. Most of the ASX-listed media companies saw their shares crash to record lows, in some cases half of what they had been just a month before. Of all media, the relatively small sector of cinema advertising was hit hardest and earliest. For months, cinemas were closed, and when they did reopen, the public mostly stayed away, not least because the US studios postponed the releases of just about all their blockbusters. By March, cinema advertising was down 40.8%, and across the whole year, it was down an eye-watering 67.9%. With people working from home and air travel rapidly drying up as state borders closed, outdoor advertising companies were among the first to see the peril. There's no point advertising on roadside billboards and in terminals if nobody is going to see the ads. O-Media reacted quickly, entering a trading halt on the 20th of March to raise nearly $170 million on the share market to ensure it had enough money in the bank to survive the crisis. Over the whole year, the outdoor advertising market fell by 38.4%. Bad news came from all directions. Australia's only news agency service, the Australian Associated Press, had been in trouble before the pandemic, making a loss of $10 million in the previous year. On the 20th of March, its main shareholders, Nine and News Corp, announced they were shutting it down. Later, a group of philanthropic investors, led by former Foxtel CEO Peter Tonner, relaunched it with a reduced service as a not-for-profit, although it remained in a perilous position. The situation was exquisitely bad timing for Bauer Media, which in October 2019 had agreed to buy Pacific Magazines from Seven West Media, subject to agreement from the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. Just before Christmas, the ACCC had suggested it was of a mind to block the deal because it would reduce competition. In the midst of the pandemic, there was no way PacMags was still worth the $46.6 million Bauer had agreed to pay for it. February's SMI data showed that advertising revenue for media agencies fell 16.2% for magazines down to $88.2 million for the month. The decline accelerated in March to 21.1% as the pandemic began to hit bookings. By mid-March, Bauer knew that bookings for April were awful, down by a cataclysmic 52% for the sector. There was no time in the history of the medium where magazine advertising spend had fallen so fast. On the 26th of March, there was bad news for the Bauer family back in Germany. The ACCC announced that it had changed its mind. It was going to approve the PacMags deal, and there will be no conditions attached. It was an amazing result for Seven West Media and its chairman, Kerry Stokes. Circumstances had changed, said the ACCC's Rod Sims. 
the significant declines in the circulation and revenue experienced by many magazines are sustained, substantial and likely to continue, resulting in less investment in content and fewer retail promotions, acknowledged Sims. Nonetheless, he added, Ultimately, we determined that although there is a notable level of competition between the particular print titles, the transaction was not likely to substantially lessen competition because publishers in other media, particularly online publishers, will increasingly compete with Bauer. Bauer, meanwhile, went quiet. Very, very quiet. CEO Brendan Hill cancelled his press interviews about the announcement and rumours began to circulate that the company was not returning Seven West Media's calls. It looked like Bauer was trying to renegotiate the price or even renege on the deal. Bauer was in even more trouble in New Zealand where the whole country was in a severe lockdown and the magazine industry was suspended entirely because of government coronavirus restrictions. On the 2nd of April, the company shut down its New Zealand operation, making its entire workforce redundant. What was not made public at the time was that the parent company sent extra money from Germany to New Zealand to ensure that staff at least received their entitlements. With the closure in New Zealand, the radical option was that Bauer might close his Australian operation too, rather than be forced to throw good money after bad and pay the $40 million. Such a move would have signalled the end of the Australian magazine industry as a major medium. The situation was all the more stressful for Bauer's staff. Many of those stood down were stuck in a desperate financial limbo, unable to access the government's JobKeeper payment because Bauer was ineligible and unable to apply for a job seeker payment because they were still employed. Seven West Media's ferocious legal team sprang into action. The binding sale deal had allowed for every eventuality, including the possibility that Bauer Media's Australia operation would be unable to pay. Seven West Media had insisted on a parent company guarantee in the contract, meaning that head office in Germany would still be on the hook. On the 8th of April, Seven West Media began court proceedings against Bauer to hold it to its contract. The proceedings were not public, but staff in Bauer's Sydney office held their breath until the money turned up from Germany and the deal was completed on the 1st of May. Hill finally came back into sight. We are extremely pleased to complete the purchase of Pacific Magazines. It will drive the consolidation that publishing needs right now to be competitive at what is a very challenging time for our industry. We welcome the Pacific staff to the Bauer Group and look forward to working with them. As the lockdowns in Australia continued, Bauer made 70 staff redundant, then another 60. The dreadful days newspapers had experienced in 2012 had finally come to the magazine sector. Unable to visit the office, staff learned of their lost jobs by video conference. Meanwhile, Bauer's financial position continued to deteriorate. May's SMI numbers came in and were worse again. Advertising spend on magazines was down 57.4%. And each time the state of the magazine market appeared to be hitting rock bottom, a new low emerged. 
the decline across the market was far worse than anything ever experienced, said SMI boss Jane Ratcliffe when she released the May numbers. And June's numbers showed a fall of 62% for the magazine sector. Bauer was now desperate to get out of Australia at all costs. Private equity firm Mercury Capital had been circling for a while. They agreed a deal in mid-June. No price was disclosed, but speculation ranged from a rock-bottom $10 million to an almost rock-bottom $50 million. For an industry that used to write that sort of advertising revenue in the space of a week, it was a shockingly low number, not least considering the $525 million Bauer had paid back in 2012. The deal was completed on the 15th of July. The first order of business was to put the stood-down staff out of their misery. It was the worst single day in the history of the Australian magazine market. Eight print titles, which had already been suspended, were closed. Harper's Bazaar, Elle, InStyle, Men's Health, Women's Health, Good Health, NW and OK. We, like many other media companies have deeply felt the impact of COVID-19, said Hill, who stayed in charge. The reinstatement of these titles and teams was always dependent on the advertising market bouncing back and the return of domestic and international travel. Despite promising signs from advertisers in recent weeks, this has not outweighed the medium-term outlook for these titles. Mercury also delivered a surprise reprieve for the New Zealand business, as the country emerged from its lockdown, having eradicated COVID from the community. The easing of restrictions has meant we have been able to bring back around 40 editorial and advertising staff and much-loved titles such as Woman's Day, New Zealand Woman's Weekly, the Australian Women's Weekly, Kia Ora, Your Home and Garden, and The Listener, which is fantastic, said Hill. And in September... The last sign of the Bauer family's unhappy Australian adventure was removed. Mercury Capital rebranded its new business, dropping the Bauer name and taking the words audience, reach and engagement to become our media. Said Hill, today commences a new chapter for our business. However, Hill would not be the person to write that chapter. In April 2021, He joined the long list of former CEOs, with Mercury announcing Jane Huxley as his successor at the helm of R Media. It was a signal that Mercury wanted to prioritise the long-delayed transition from printed magazines to digital. It would be the first time a major Australian magazine company was led by a boss from outside the print world. Huxley had worked in digital publishing roles for Fairfax Media before running the local operations of music streaming services Pandora Radio and Spotify. And the Covid crisis meant a brutal year for radio too. Advertising revenue from the media agencies fell by 22.7% across the year. Southern Cross Stereo was among the hardest hit. Like O Media, It went into a brief ASX trading halt in March, raising $169 million from its shareholders. In August came a drastic move, 
with the company axing 19 of its regional breakfast shows across its hit network, replacing them with a single networked breakfast show in each state. As the biggest regional radio operator, Southern Cross Stereo's local shows had traditionally been the nursery where the next generation of radio talent was unearthed and developed. The TV networks had to throw all of their plans out of the window. News programming saw a viewing renaissance like never before, although there were fewer advertisers around to take advantage of it. But sport, the backbone of nines and sevens schedules, vanished. Seven's centrepiece for the year, the Olympics, was postponed. For the debt-laden company, it was no bad thing, as it saved some money as it no longer had to pay to screen it. The company also reduced most of its staff to working four days per week and asked its top-paid executives to take a 20% pay cut. The AFL season was put on hold after the first round in March and didn't resume until June. Seven took the opportunity to renegotiate the AFL rights deal, extending it until the end of 2024. CEO James Warburton got into a public battle with Cricket Australia over the value of its rights, thanks to the disrupted and rescheduled season, threatening to walk away from the contract before eventually staying with the sport. Warburton made the most of the crisis, driving down costs across the network and claiming more than $30 million in JobKeeper subsidies from the government. In February 2021, he was able to announce that he had reduced the company's net debt to a more manageable $328.9 million. The company also managed to negotiate a crucial extension, pushing back the debt's due date until 2022. For nine, the NRL was similarly disrupted, with the season paused in March after the second round and not resumed until the end of May. Nine also negotiated a reduction on the cost of its NRL rights deal, which was due to run until the end of 2022. Foxtel and its streaming service KO were dramatically hit by the disappearance of sport, with KO subscribers who paid by the month dropping from 542,000 to 331,000 while there was nothing to watch. But the platform recovered when sport resumed, with paying subscribers growing to 624,000 by the end of 2020. Foxtel took the opportunity to extend its deals with its key codes, locking in AFL until the end of 2024 and NRL all the way out to 2027. Stan signalled that it planned to turn sport into its next battleground, announcing Stan Sport by striking a three-year rights deal with Rugby Australia to stream rugby union matches. Stan boss Mike Sneesby said it signalled a new era for Australian sports television. Stan also signed up the rights to the Wimbledon and French Open tennis. For TV viewers, 10 cut the most visibly in the face of the downturn, with the axing of local weather forecasts, production of its state news bulletins centralised to Sydney and Melbourne, and a swathe of on-air talent axed. Famous names like weatherman Tim Bailey, Studio 10 presenters Kerry-Ann Kennelly, Joe Hildebrand 
and Natasha Belling were among the 25 staff cuts. TENS Network Director of News Content, Ross Dagan, said, These painful changes reflect the state of the media industry in recent years and the need for all media companies to achieve new efficiencies. And TEN also got out of the online publishing business in 2020, closing its TEN Daily website in May after just two years in operation. Lifestyle and entertainment journalists, editors, video editors and social media managers were let go in the cull, which TEN insisted was because of a change in strategy to focus on streaming rather than because of COVID. For the first time, the networks were forced to ditch their upfronts. Instead, they announced their 2021 schedules via video stream. And television would also be the first medium to see its advertising revenue bounce back. Across the year, advertising revenue was down 12%. In any other year, that would have been an utter disaster. For 2020, that was a good result. And in December 2020... TV saw its revenue grow by 11% compared to the same month in 2019. Local newspaper journalism had its extinction event. In April, News Corp suspended publication of 60 of its free titles across New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and South Australia, including the Quest Mastheads in Queensland, Messenger in South Australia, Leader in Victoria, and the News Local Group in New South Wales. The suspension of our community print titles has been forced on us by the rapid decline in advertising revenues, following the restrictions placed on real estate auctions and home inspections that forced closure of event venues and dining restaurants in the wake of the coronavirus emergency said News Corp Executive Chairman Michael Miller. It emerged in May that News Corp was on the verge of selling the community titles and its regional newspapers to Anthony Catalano's ACM. If it had come off, it would have made ACM the undisputed major player in regional publishing. But the deal floundered. Instead, later that month, News Corp axed the print editions of about a 100 of its regional and community titles, including many of those it had bought from APN News and Media just four years before. Just a handful of the most profitable community titles, the Wentworth Courier, Mosman Daily and North Shore Times, returned. But the loss of the free titles, which often existed mainly as vehicles for real estate advertising, was nothing compared to the loss of the regional papers. The impact was even bigger on individual communities than the worst of what had happened to newspapers in 2012. There were around 500 job losses, and many towns lost their only newspaper. Many of the papers were dailies, which had been watchdogs of local politics covering council meetings, court and the police rounds. In Queensland, The papers lost included Mackay's Daily Mercury, Gympie Times, Sunshine Coast Daily and Warwick Daily News. New South Wales lost the Tweed Daily News, Ballina Shire Advocate, Byron Shire News, Coffs Coast Advocate, Grafton's Daily Examiner and Lismore's Northern Star. 
The closure of so many mastheads represents an immense blow to local communities, and coming off the back of hundreds of previous regional closures during this period, it underlines the seriousness of the crisis facing regional and local journalism. Paul Murphy, chief executive of Journalists' Union, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, said... Miller promised that many of the titles would live on as digital products, albeit with much smaller teams. Over the past 19 months, News has launched 16 new digital-only local mastheads. In total, we will now publish 92 digital-only regional and community mastheads, each offering readers rolling coverage, electronic alerts and newsletters, richer audio and video content and deeper local sports coverage and community debate. He admitted, These initiatives are significant. They will involve fundamental changes to how we operate our business, but they are necessary. But even in a rotten year, there are always winners. In June, out-of-home advertising company QMS announced it had won Australia's biggest outdoor contract, signing a 10-year agreement with the City of Sydney. JC Decoe had held the franchise since the Sydney Olympics. The win came just a few months after QMS was bought by Quadrant Private Equity, the same company that had bought APN Outdoor back in 2012 before floating it on the ASX. Nine won the official 2020 TV ratings year, beating seven for network share by 38.3% to 36.9%. Ten was back on 24.8%. Nine won the 1639 and 2554, advertising demographics too. And in radio, there was, as usual, more than one winner. In the final ratings of 2020 in Sydney, Ben Fordham hung on to the lead given to him by Alan Jones to keep 2GB as the top-rating breakfast show. In FM, Kiss's Kyle and Jackie O show retained its lead. And for Monday to Sunday share, across all the time slots, Lachlan Murdoch's Smooth FM was Sydney's number one FM station. In Melbourne, Ross Stevenson and Russell Howcroft kept their overall lead with 3AW's breakfast show. And in the more competitive FM battle, Christian O'Connell finished the year on top for Gold 104.3. Gold was also Melbourne's number one FM station. Nonetheless, there was no getting away from 2020 being Australian media's worst year. Local newspaper publishing had its heart ripped out. More magazines closed than ever before and the radio industry lost its conveyor belt of new talent. There was one company that had a better year than anybody else. On the 27th of January 2021, Facebook released its global financial numbers for 2020. Its advertising revenue for the year grew by 21% to $84.2 billion US. It was Facebook's decade. That was the latest chapter of my narration of my book, Media Unmade. You can buy the book online and at all good bookstores. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to hear all future chapters, you'll need to be a paying subscriber of Unmade. You can sign up at unmade.media. That's the URL, simply unmade.media. 
Once you do, it only takes a couple of clicks to add the paid for feed to the podcast app of your choice. The book was written and recorded in Northwest Tasmania on the land of the Palawa people. This podcast is produced with the enthusiastic help of Abe's Audio. For voiceovers and audio production, from corporate to commercial, go to abesaudio.com.au. I'll be back with the next chapter soon. Toodle pip.